You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When war broke out in America in 1861, a different type of risk was faced. Loss of life, certainly, but also the loss of trade. And for the states that were calling themselves a confederacy, it was a real risk. As the first major act of the Civil War was a war on commerce. General Winfield Scott proposed a plan to blockade southern ports like an anaconda snake to choke his prey. Scott's plan called for the Union Army to take the Mississippi and to blockade any port in a state that was declaring itself part of the Confederacy. As Virginia and North Carolina joined the other states, Lincoln then included them in this plan. The major ports, Norfolk, New Orleans, Charleston, Savannah, Mobile, Galveston, known not just within the United States, but known around the world, would now be blockaded, not by an enemy fleet, but by the ships with the Stars and Stripes flags. This was to cut at the very strength of the Confederacy, slavery, the use of labor free to them in most part, but... Not only that, the resulting product of cotton and southern cotton from the southern United States was used around the world, particularly in the nations of Britain and France. It's a real crop, it's abundant, but it's difficult to ship. The Confederate States couldn't ship anything now. And so they turned to something else to raise money, selling chance, selling the future cotton crop and selling the chance that there would be a new nation, with these ports included as the, as the major ports of a new nation. At the beginning of the war, Confederate money was at 90% of the money in the North. Between military setbacks and inflation, <coughs> the Richmond government printing too much money, it drops to 17 cents. Prices are rising like crazy. One of the strengths of the new nation was that it had the port of New Orleans, and New Orleans not only had trade power, but it had great financiers. And the financiers in New Orleans began selling cotton bonds on behalf of the CSA. There were certificates of a set amount of bales of cotton, and they can be redeemed for that cotton. But to redeem it, you have to pick it up in New Orleans, Mobile, or any number of blockaded ports. They are priced in pounds sterling, the currency of London, the major market in the world. But these particulars were all meant to encourage Britain in the Confederate cause. And they become in high demand. This is a 
This financial story is a part of the Civil War often not told. That in the banks in London, there is a run on these bonds. $10 million are sold. $300 million in today's cash. But in reality, that cash is much more. And it meant much more to have that amount of investment from Britain in the new Confederacy. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Since the people who could buy things like that weren't the average Johnny Londoner on the street, they were the wealthy and famous people in London. And... They included a number of members of parliament. It was rumored that future Prime Minister Gladstone had some of these bonds. It attached the British government to the Confederate cause. It made sure that Britain would be interested, at least, in what went on in the United States. Throughout the war, no matter what other expenses they had in the Confederacy to keep that army going, rifles, uniforms, They made sure to pay the interest on those bonds. And up until the fall of Atlanta, cotton bond prices were rising in world markets. And they're sold in London and they're sold in Paris. Louis Napoleon, the third step-grandson to Napoleon Bonaparte, who's leading France at this time, desperately wants France to get involved on the Confederate side. But he won't do it alone, so he keeps looking to Britain. In Britain... There is a lot of attention on the American cause. Overall, there's talk that, yeah, maybe you don't get involved. There's talk that you don't get involved maybe with the Confederacy or the Union. Maybe you come in out of a humanitarian interest, just like the UN might now in today's conflicts. There's that kind of talk. in The mayor of London is for the Confederacy. A lot of people 
say, ah, that idiot? That settles the question. You know, there's all of these things going on. There are some debates in Parliament. The best book for this is um, Amanda Foman's The World, A World on Fire that talks about all the developments in Britain during the Civil War. And there's many. You have Charles Adams, son of John Quincy Adams, who is the minister to London, working to prevent desperately London from supporting the Confederacy. And they're successful. But these cotton bonds are a problem because many people have them. Then they secure a loan from a French firm for which they had to pay one-third in fees to get much higher rate than anyone would get. But the cotton bonds, War Secretary Judah Benjamin said, the political advantages that they could get from that loan made a sacrifice in terms that they would otherwise view as in peacetime as something manipulative um, looked pretty good. The editor of the Times of London owned some bonds. The biggest supporter of the Confederacy in Parliament was W.S. Lindsay, and he was also the largest bondholder. The North caught on to this secret financial war going on. They did what they could, for instance, pointing out how Jefferson Davis could not be trusted. You're, you're talking about a man who, as a senator, urged the state of Mississippi and Alabama to default on their state bonds and not to pay them to the Yankee bondholders. Now you're going to do business with this man? Even after Gettysburg and Vicksburg, though those losses for the Confederacy helped Parliament to not seriously consider intervention, it goes all the way to September 1864 before cotton bonds start being in trouble. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.